welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are one week away from Holy Week, and to me that seems unbelievable. Seems like seems like Jesus was just born, and now we're ready for Holy Week. Uh, are you ready? Ish, ish. Yeah, the, like, the aisles of the grocery store are lined with candy and goodies, so there's, pl- there's places to go to get ready. This morning, I would like us to pray and then talk about extravagant generosity, and then we're going to talk about the lay of the land of our passage. Then we'll read the passage, and then we'll unpack it. A bit, And we're going to have an activity for you all to do today that's a little different. I promise it won't be painful, but we're going to have an activity. So please pray with me. Lord, we come to you at all times, in our time of need, and even when we think we don't need you, we come to you. You are our God. You are our Redeemer. So as we share together in your word... I ask that you speak through me, help us to hear you, and that all may be blessed and be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, help us to meditate and carry the things which you plant in our hearts and minds this day. May we meditate on them and allow them room to grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Obviously, if you came to the all-church meeting a few weeks ago, we're, we've been talking about finances in the church, and so that's, that's had me pulling some tools out of my tool belt from Financial Peace University, so I thank Bob and Kathy for leading Lauren and I, among others, through that a few years ago, and my favorite part as I've been pouring through this and thinking about the tools that are available to us, biblical tools, I really got fixated on the last session of the whole Financial Peace University program. Has anyone done Financial Peace University? Yeah. Would anyone like to do it? Raise them high so Bob can see it, because Bob and Kathy would love to lead. Amen, Bob? (laughs) The last session is all focused on what the fruit of your work. And so you spend several sessions learning about all the excitement of credit cards and insurance and mortgages and debt and all these things that we all encounter in our lives. But the whole theme is you live today like no one else, which means you're very, you're very uh, disciplined. You think through every decision, and you live extremely in an effort to get out of debt and to get yourself in a good place, a good relationship, in financial peace. So you live today like no one else so that you can live tomorrow like no one else. And the idea is then you can be a giver. And Dave Ramsey shares these stories of extravagant generosity. And one of them, I thought, just really touched me. I haven't done it yet, but one day I dream of doing this. He says, you take a few hundred dollars, and you, maybe around Christmas time, sometime, anytime, go find a diner with big windows across the front so that you can see in. And the reason comes later. But you walk in, you sit at the counter, you order a cup of coffee, and then the server comes and brings that cup of coffee, And then when they're not looking, you put your few hundred dollars down, keep the change, and you go sit in your car and watch. And when that person comes and sees the money, they kind of get panic-stricken at first, like, what's going on? 
Whereas the person, they don't find you, eventually it sinks in, this is a gift. And it's usually a day-changing, month-changing, sometimes life-changing gift. And you get to watch. So you give extravagantly, but it, the blessing's two ways. Because there will be tears, and not just by the person who's receiving your gift. So I've been thinking about this in light of today's passage, because today's passage is about an extravagant gift given. So we're going to hold on to that two-way blessing, because that's the way it works. We're going to read from the gospel account that we call John. And our fourth gospel is, is very strange in the most beautiful way. Every story kind of builds on the stories prior. And some stories near the end, they actually shed some more light on the stories at the beginning and stories in the middle. They're connected. You'll hear echoes and words that link it together. And there's layers of meaning behind these words until you find that you can just read this gospel again and again and unearth more wisdom and beauty of the story and meaning of Jesus. The author says at the end, if I wrote everything that happened, it would fill all the books, that it wouldn't be enough space on the planet to contain them. So we have 21 chapters, and so it's layered very deep. And so we're going to explore this passage today through the layers. We're going to be in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, these famous siblings that we find in the account called Luke and in John. And in our passage today, we've actually already been with this sibling group just a chapter prior. In that story... In chapter 11, Lazarus had gotten sick and had died. And Jesus finally comes and finds Mary and Martha just completely devastated. And Jesus weeps with them. Because that's what you do when people are devastated. You weep with them. Jesus knew what was going to happen next, but he still joined them in that moment. And then he says, open the tomb. And Martha says, Jesus, the, the fragrance, the stench of death is going to be overwhelming. He's been dead four days. Jesus says, just have faith. Commands them to open the tomb, calls Lazarus up. Lazarus indeed rises, and then Jesus has him unbound to live once more. A beautiful story that then led to the next passage, which is the high priest hearing about what Jesus is doing, this great sign and people's response, and the high priest decides then and there Jesus needs to die. Kind of a strange response. Except Jesus is inspiring people to live in a way that the high priest can't control and didn't anticipate, and that's scary. So Jesus needs to die. So they start waiting for the opportunity. And then we come to our passage today. And so we're coming to this passage, it is five days before his death. Jesus goes back to the home or is at the home of these siblings. Maybe he never left, but he's there. In just four days, Jesus will be at another meal similar to this one with his disciples there as well. There'll be a finality to that gathering because it will be his last supper with them before he is arrested. This meal will feature an unholy act by a certain disciple involving money. This meal will focus on an act of love and blessing involving feet. Today's passage is meant to connect with the resurrection scene of Lazarus and the Last Supper scene that's immediately coming in the next chapter. So let us read this passage now, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made from pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold in the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. See the echoes? They're eating dinner together. Martha served. Kind of a throwback to the Luke story where there was a little contention about Martha serving and Mary not. It's a typical scene. Jesus has had many meals with many different people, but then something extraordinary happens. Mary anoints Jesus' feet. She does with a perfume more valuable. It would take a year to save up enough, assuming you didn't eat or spend your money. It would take a year. I mean, we engagement rings are what? Three months, six months salary, depending on who you ask. This is a year's worth. This is a big deal that she does this. Not only that, but she kneels at his feet. It's not typically the place a woman would kneel. That's a disciple's place is at the rabbi's feet. She's asserting herself as a disciple. And then she lets down her hair, something you'd only do with your immediate family behind closed doors. It's intimate. It's provocative. There would have been some gasps. And then she pours out the perfume until the entire house is filled with the fragrance. Both Jesus' feet and her hair will carry that fragrance for days, probably all the way to his death. It's pretty strong stuff. She's anointed him for death, Jesus says. Did she know he was going to die in five days? We don't know. She knew something. Where once the stench of death had hovered over this family, now the fragrance of love and blessing and honor. Where sadness and mourning had resided, now love permeated everything. But not everyone is caught up in the moment. In fact, it seems that Jesus and Mary are the only ones fully present to the reality of what's happening. And can we blame everyone else, given what it looked like, given what was normal, given the, the extravagance of the gift? Now, we don't know what everyone else was doing exactly, but we do know that Mary made everyone uncomfortable. Judas is being greedy, and we find out in this gospel that's what Judas does. He wants that kind of extravagant wealth to go into his pocket, where he can have control of it and say, what it will be used for. And he offers an argument on behalf of the poor as his excuse to oppose this gift, which we know was shallow and insincere. The author gives us a little phrase in this aside in the parentheses. It said, Judas was a thief. It might seem like just a word you'd use and you'd move on in the passage, but understand that in chapter 10, 
That word was given when Jesus stood before in a teaching and said, I am the gate. You come to be a part of the flock through me. The thief goes over the wall and does not go through me. The good shepherd watches out for the sheep and lays down his life for the sheep. The thief runs when there is threat. The thief refuses to go the right way and actually brings destruction upon the sheep. Judas is a thief, the author tells us. Judas is everything a disciple isn't, an anti-disciple, if we would want to put it that way. So whatever the reactions in the room were, doesn't get worse than Judas. He's everything a disciple is not, whereas Mary is everything a disciple is. Extravagantly, boldly responding in generosity to Jesus, filling the house with the fragrance of love. Four days later, Jesus is going to wash feet, is going to bless the feet of his disciples. Mary hasn't seen that happen. How'd she know that that was a great act of service that Jesus would then go on and do himself? It was later at the meal that Jesus says, do this for one another, love each other as I have loved you. Mary didn't hear this teaching. She seems to know. Five days later, when Jesus actually dies, it's going to suddenly make sense what Mary did five days earlier. The sign of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was the culmination of the signs we find in this gospel. Jesus is the Lord of life. Not even death opposes Jesus. The actions of Mary fully reveal what discipleship is all about. It's an incredible scene. Jesus says, yes, there will always be poor, and especially in their town, Bethany means house of the poor. And we should serve the poor, always. But Mary recognized that what Jesus is doing is bringing about something bigger for all of creation, including the poor. And she's uplifting that above all else. The entire company around her cannot ignore this, this great act. It's a beautiful scene. It's preparing the story for what's to come, and it prepares us if we allow it. Extravagant generosity will always be a two-way blessing. Mary's going to walk away with the same fragrance upon Jesus' feet. So we're going to take communion today, as we do on the first Sunday of the month. We're going to remember the reception of the gift we've received from Christ. Salvation, this great extravagant gift from God, as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because we receive the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit fills us with the fragrance of holiness so much that it seeps out into what we do and the way we live. We will all be welcomed at this table today as we're always welcomed at Christ's table when we follow in the footsteps of Mary and seek to love and honor Jesus. To follow in her footsteps for each of us is to offer an extravagant gift in response. The kind of gift that is intimate, bold, and fills the whole house with fragrance. So I ask you, what will you offer the Lord of life? And you'll have time to consider this because I'm asking you to offer something to Jesus today. And that's going to be between you and Jesus. And so you're going to have some time to think about it. We have our Holy Week cross is here. It's going to journey with us through the next few weeks. We're going to be using that to help us understand the meaning of all that's coming. This particular cross 
you know it well. So we're going to do something special with it today. As you prepare to offer a gift to Jesus, we're going to symbolically offer that gift to the cross. I hope that Lent has provided a chance for you to be self-reflective and examine and think about your life. Think about your life as a disciple and maybe even know what's the next step on your journey. What might that look like? Your next step may be to offer your whole self. Maybe you've never done that. And you're ready to lay yourself down to the Lord of life and to give all you are. Maybe it's a commitment. Maybe you've felt the call to give more of your time, your energy, your devotion, your resources, whatever it is, and you're ready to make that commitment. Maybe it's to make a dedication. You're going to let go of something that you've needed to let go of for a long time. Maybe today's the day. Maybe you want to do a great act. Perhaps a relationship in your life is in need of reconciliation, and you've been waiting for the other person to come to you. And maybe your gift is, I will go to them. And even if I'm not wrong, I will tell them I'm sorry for not coming sooner. I will bring mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness as a gift to Jesus. Maybe it's just an open-ended offer, and this is the scariest one. You just tell me what you want me to do today, and I'll do it. That prayer gets answered. Or maybe it's joining a Bible study or a group in the church. I'm going to give a year. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to grow in fellowship with my fellow members of the church. Or maybe it's to sign up for a food bank or a shelter somewhere to serve the poor. Or maybe it's to serve a team at church if you want to work in the tech booth. Or perhaps it's something else. So I want you to think about what you're going to give. And I want it to honor Christ, to be a sign of love, to honor that he is the way, he is the gate, he is the good shepherd. Don't be insincere. Don't be like Judas. Be fully committed like Mary. So here's what's going to happen. Next, we're going to respond with confession. And then we're going to have our Holy Communion liturgy. And then Mark is going to play music for a while. And I've told him it might be a while. You're going to have that time to spend in prayer, thinking about the gift you want to offer and to, to voice it silently, out loud, to Jesus. And then when you're ready, come forward to receive your elements. And before you go back to your seat, I have nard oil. And I'll ask you to do one of these numbers. Get some nard on your finger and anoint the cross. Prepare it for the death to come. Maybe it's just a mark. Maybe you draw a cross or a heart. Whatever you feel led to do. And you'll carry the fragrance back to your seat as much as you leave it up here until the whole place is going to be filled. That's good stuff. And then we'll come back to our seats and then we'll take our elements and we'll celebrate in the giving of gifts and the two-way blessing. As you do this, know that wherever you are, whether you're ready to give a gift or not, Jesus Christ already loves you, has already died for you, and honors your gift, receives your love as a disciple, so that you too will receive the blessing of his life, death, and resurrection. We are all invited to the table to commune today as a foretaste of the great communion to come. Amen? So let us take a breath. 
we'll prepare ourselves and we'll enter into this time of giving. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.